This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hi, everyone. I'm Rebecca Minkoff, and you're listening to Superwomen. Before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to remind you about the giveaway we're doing for Hannah Bronfman's new book, Do It Feels Good. Her book is full of delicious recipes and personal stories about how she learned to listen to her body and how you can too. This is how it's going to work. Take a screenshot showing that you've downloaded, rated, and reviewed Superwomen with Rebecca Minkoff. Put it on your story. Tag me. I'll be going through it as they come in and picking out a couple of lucky winners. So get cracking. Today's guest is Hannah Bronfman. She is a woman of many things. I call her a multi-hyphenate. She is a wellness guru, a workout fanatic slash expert. Everything she says and does in beauty, I always want to do. And today she's actually launching her first book. It's called Do What Feels Good. So now she's a published author. You can find her work on amazon.com or wherever you buy your books. In this episode, we talk about how she never quite felt like she fit in and what she did to embrace that. We also talk about many things that come out of her book, recipes, exercise tips. You definitely want to buy this book. For those who follow me on the Rebecca Minkoff Instagram, every once in a while, I ask you to send me something you want to know about my guests. This first question is from vibe underscore vibration underscore V. And what you wanted to know was balancing in quotes. I get it. There is no balance. Uh, life's different endeavors. So you will definitely find the answer to that on this episode. Take a listen. I'm with Hannah Bronfman. I don't know if you remember this, but probably six years ago, you came to my showroom. I admired your nails and you're like, I'd love some advice. Do you remember that? You were ju- you hadn't even started anything. I do remember coming to your studio and who, I feel like someone was working for you who I'd gone to high school with maybe. Yes. Nicole. Yeah. Okay. And you came in and we talked and you were just beginning. I felt like you were just beginning like this journey that you're on now, which mm-hmm. is so exciting to watch. Um, but you were into fitness, you were in beauty, health, and now cut to, it hasn't <laughs> even been six years. It's probably, probably been less. No, I think it's been about six. It is? Yeah. Okay. So I'd love for you to start. You don't have to give me your whole origin story. Okay. Or for the listener, the whole origin story, but I'd love for you to tell me what was your first love or passion? And then how did you parlay that into all the categories and interests you have now? Okay. So my first love was really ballet and dance. Um, So I grew up a dancer. I danced for almost 15 years. um, And it kind of got to a point where I had to either like choose academics or a life of like trying to pursue to be a professional ballerina. And I very quickly saw more so when I became a teenager, how crazy the world of dance becomes in terms of body image and self-love and comparison and all of these kind of really intense things that as a teenager, you already have to deal with. And then it was so heightened by the world of ballet and the pressures that came with it that I kind of was like, you know, I, I don't really want to go down this path. You know, I, I love my, I, I actually, I feel very grateful. I feel like I was kind of born with a good sense of self and self-worth and 
I knew I didn't really want to put myself through the ringer like that. And so I then left the world of ballet and went like very much into the world of like team sports, you know, and in college, I started dancing again. Um, and this time I, I was doing African dance and contemporary dance and kind of relearning my appreciation for the dance world that was not in the way that I had originally grown up in it, which leads me to kind of realizing after when I left school and I was DJing and, you know, nightlife and all this stuff that like that lifestyle of DJing and being out all night, that was not sustainable. And that was like making me feel burned out. And I was like, what, what am I missing here? And it was really that feeling of doing what I love. And that is being active. I'm a morning person, um, you know, taking advantage of my day, getting work done. And so I kind of had to like switch my entire lifestyle to go back to those feelings of reappreciating what my body could do, pushing myself. And um, and that's kind of what sparked my whole like wellness journey in my early 20s coming out of college. So I really wanted to find what made me feel good again because I had, I really felt like in those kind of college years and the two years after college, I really kind of lost touch with that. So being that you are an incredible, highly in demand DJ, you you inspire me to work out and try every workout known to man. You are an incredible chef. Um, most people only get good at, let's say, one thing in your in their lives, <laughs> maybe more. What would you say your hack or your talent for becoming so good at so many things has been? So I don't know if it's a hack, but I mean, I'm a really curious person. And I think for me, wanting to have my hands in so many things, it's funny because it's the opposite of what I feel like our, my grandparents kind of told me when I was growing up. It's like, stick to one thing and one thing that you do well. And, you know, and I was kind of like, one thing, like, <laughs> how? Like, I've got so many interests. And for me, it, it was, it's all about just being hands on and just going for it and trying. Like, I, you know, there's so many bad meals I've made. There's so many... Uh, mistakes I've had along the way, but it all like stems from just trying and learning. And I think one hack or something that I think about a lot is people kind of overthink and things become intimidating when you overthink them. You just kind of have to like let go of the expectations and just try it for yourself, which I think is, it's hard. It's, you know, that, that kind of vulnerability and, and being okay to mess up and, fail. And, you know, I mean, I think it's just one of those things where I've always felt that I've learned so much from those hiccups that have kind of helped me get to where I am now. So being that you're in the health and fitness space, I I think body image is something that, you know, you talk about it in your book, but also you've been vocal about. I know I was a dancer too, and I had to look and you know, those years, those formative years when my boobs were too big and my stomach wasn't flat and I didn't have the six pack and I couldn't do a perfect arabesque. I mean, all that still resonates with me today. Like I'm always like, my boobs are too big and my stomach is fat. How have you sort of been able to shift your mentality and become really positive about your body and then spreading that message being that again, as a dancer, we are told to fit into this mold. Mm -hmm, Totally. I always felt by the way, I, I completely hear those thoughts, right? (laughs) And it's like those those negative thoughts that come creeping in about your own self-worth is like, 
you know, it's like, why are we constantly like letting society and other people kind of tell us what or how we should be? And I always felt like my butt was too big. My thighs were too big. My, you know, I, I didn't have the, the best turnout. You know, I had flat feet, like, you know, all these things that I'm born with and that I should learn to love and appreciate. And for me, what it really was um, in terms of like body acceptance, because in high school, it was more about it wasn't so much about me accepting myself, but rather me just saying, I don't want those pressures, but I still struggled with body acceptance. Mm -hmm. And then when I went into team sports, it made me start to feel a little bit better because everyone on the team looked and, you know, looked different and, and we all had different strengths and we worked together for a collective goal. And I, and I liked that, um, you know, in ballet, it felt like everyone was kind of in it for themselves. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) But for me, it was really when my grandmother got really sick. And I was still in college and my grandmother actually had suffered from anorexia her whole life since she was a little girl. And um, it came to a point where like her body just physically couldn't support her anymore. And when she passed away, it was really just one of those eye-opening experiences that basically that I wanted to live like the happiest and healthiest version of myself possible because I knew it was something that she could never do for herself, but she wanted so desperately for me and my siblings and her kids who unfortunately got like a lot of, you know, I feel like parenting is so much projection on how you feel about yourself and her kids, I think really got that from her a lot as well. And, and I think she really didn't want that for us. And so it was really then that I was like, okay, I'm going to figure this out. (laughs) It's funny, and I still do this even now. Someone will say, oh, you have such great legs. And immediately my thought is, but my stomach is fat. Like, I don't even accept the compliment. And I feel like so many women do that. You'll be like, you look so great today. And they're like, oh, but I'm tired. Or, oh, but it's this. Like, Mm -hmm. I I mean. Changing the internal dialogue that you have with yourself is so, so key to becoming more and more comfortable in your skin it's just, it, it's it's so deep rooted, you know, it's hard to wake up and want to think differently than you have for the last 35 years. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's like, these things are, are ingrained in us at such a young age. I mean, I remember like my little sister, this, I mean, I must've been, I don't know, like 13. So she must've been, or maybe I was like 15, maybe she was like five. Okay. And she said to me, Oh, like I want another piece of cake, but mommy said I couldn't because I'm going to get fat. And I was like, oh my God, like you're five years old, right. you know, like yeah. at least, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a parent. So, I, you know, I guess I didn't, to me, I was like, well, maybe it could have been about like the sugar and totally. like, you're crash say or the like sugar. <laughs> yeah, something, something a little bit softer than, than that delivery. But, but it just goes to show that like, you know, this stuff is in our minds at such a young age. It's so hard. It's so hard to try and change that dialogue with yourself. It takes practice, yeah. you know, and it's like, that's why people talk about daily mantras and positive affirmations and meditating. And it's kind of like to almost like remove to like, almost like to remove yourself and like look down on how you speak to yourself, like as a removed thought to kind of try and visualize how that conversation can be changed mm-hmm. is something that I like visualization almost in a way. And but it, it's one of those things where it just, it, it really does take time and effort 
Yeah, it's like a muscle. You have to really work hard to to yeah. change it. Yeah. Yeah. So you recently became a writer. I would say not you're obviously a writer, but you're writing a book. Yes. You wrote a book. Yes. Comes out January 8th. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to hear what made you decide to write. You know, how did you even go? What is this going to be about? Yeah. So Do What Feels Good is coming out in January. And for me, I decided that now was the time because I kind of, you know, I just turned 31 and I felt like my 20s were all about discovering myself, who I was, body acceptance, my whole road to health and wellness. I felt like when I was a teenager, I'd I was active and everything and and college. And then all of a sudden I had like terrible skin that I was dealing with for the first time. And so right after college, I I kind of like started to really take ownership over my lifestyle and changing certain things that would then like, you know, help me feel the way I wanted to feel. And so really this book is like a download of everything I've learned over the last 10 years on this journey. And you know, being able to have access, you know, I started that beauty app like almost seven that years was ago. The advice. It yes. was about the beauty app. Yes. I'm exactly. remembering now. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, that was again, a failed business that I learned so much from, but in that beauty world, I kind of got to become close to so many different experts. Right. And so I've learned so much expert advice, insider tips. Um, I've explored so much in terms of cooking and recipe development and, not I, I won't say diets because I don't really believe in dieting. I believe in life and a lifestyle um, that suits you. And so, you know, I've never been one thing. I've ne- I've tried everything, and I kind of figured out what works for my body. And this book is really about helping you understand your body and how to listen to it and how to get in tune. And so it's kind of just like a full data dump of everything I've gone through in the last 10 years and like this road to like self-discovery. I love that when you say the title, do what feels good, it's not like, oh, eating cake feels good, but listening really, what you're saying is really listening to your body, right? Absolutely. Because I know if I have a croissant, I have a stomach ache. So that doesn't, not because, well, because I'm gluten intolerant. So then it's like listening to your body in that way. Absolutely. And sometimes when I eat a piece of cake, I get a headache. Right. Because of the sugar, I'm not necessarily used to, I'm not saying don't use sugar. Right. And there's plenty of alternatives out there. And it's just kind of like figuring out what works for you and what is sustainable for your lifestyle. Right. I'm not about like, you know me, like I love a tequila. (laughs) I love a good night out on the town, like dancing it out. You know, it's not about going home and being asleep by 8 p.m. and waking up at 6 and getting all your things done. Like, that's not, that doesn't sound fun. Right. Right. So (laughs) in the book, you talk about you felt like society standards of beauty were infringing on you and how you thought you had to be. For those who are listening who don't know, you know, who you are or what you look like, what, what did you feel like the standards of beauty were that were infringing on you? Okay. So, you know, growing up as a black Jewish woman in, you know, an affluent society of New York City. I I was one of a a few, you know, and it's funny going to an all girls school. As a kid, I actually didn't feel different at all. Right. We all wore uniforms. And I think when you're really young, you don't have this concept of being different. At least I didn't. 
Um, and then it really kind of set in as I kind of moved into my teenage years. And, you know, I, I increasingly realized that I didn't look like everyone else. And there weren't that many girls that looked like me that were around me. Um, and then even when I was in certain situations, like I kind of, I grew up dancing at Alvin Ailey and even some of the girls there were like, you know, all of a sudden I wasn't, you know, I wasn't dark enough. Right. Or then you go to school and I'm not light enough. And then I go to a different school in high school and I'm like, Oh, I want to try out for the step team. The girls are like, "Mm, not sure. Maybe you should stick to the dance team, you know? And these are all slight things that add up Mm -hmm. that just made me feel like, Society was always telling me like I wasn't fitting into a mold Mm -hmm. and it kind of just and again, I I appreciate I feel like my mom helped me so much with like my self-worth as like a young girl that I kind of went the route of saying, fuck it, like I why why do I need to fit into a box? I'm clearly am outside a box. Right. (laughs) So like, fuck it. Like, like F this box. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I just felt like, and then, you know, everything that the media is telling you on top of everything that you're dealing with in your day-to-day life, um, you know, grew up obviously in the world of like stick-thin models, you know, not a lot of diversity. Um, So, I mean, my mom was always so encouraging because I think she had to deal with it on a completely different level coming, you know, through the 50s, 60s, 70s, wanting to be an actress on Broadway. And she broke a lot of boundaries. and she persevered, you know what I mean? And it was that perseverance that she kind of always told me about and, and lived, she lived it by example. Right. And I think that was like really, really important for me to see. And that's kind of, I don't know, that's kind of how I just said, like, you know, I need to, like, this is who I am and I need to learn how to be comfortable with that. And that's okay that I don't look like everyone else. That's my superpower. Right. Yep. And I think, you know, luckily, in 2018, I feel like that has never been more true. Yeah. You know, and people are really, you know, it's, it's hard. People like get sick and tired of being told like you're not enough or you, you know what I mean? It's just like, and so finally I feel like we're all like talking about it and you know, it's, we also, I feel like come from a world of not talking about it. Right. And so now you've got a generation of kids who over communicate. Right. Right. So it's, it's an interesting time. I, mean, I can't believe it's only now just happening. I know. Feels like it should have happened a long time ago. Totally. Also in the book, you say, good health is a gift, but it should not be a privilege and everyone deserves to feel good. Obviously, with the price of organic food or healthy food, it's, it, it is more expensive for a reason, not because someone's trying to make an extra buck. But what would you say are tips for people who maybe want to be healthy, want to eat better food? It's not available so easily to them. So. When I talk about that, about how good health is is something that should be accessible to everyone, I'm not necessarily just talking about purchasing organic food, right? There are certain systems that you can put in place that will help your digestion, which ultimately will help your mind, right? Whether that's having a glass of water and lemon in the morning, which doesn't cost really a lot, right? Or it's about... um, taking a supplement that you've kind of neglected that you know will make a difference in your life. Of course, organic food is important because of all the amounts of chemicals 
that are in like Monsanto is a huge giant beast, right? And we hate Monsanto. It's really bad, right? <laughs> it's really, really bad. And and now finally again, we're seeing lawsuits come yep. out, right? And the people winning the lawsuits against huge corporations like this because it's true the food is full of chemicals and these things lead to terrible diseases like cancer. Right. Um so I I always say you know, if organic food at a grocery store is too expensive, I think it's really important to also try and find your local farmer. Supporting local businesses is a great way of trying to be a little bit more sustainable. You can potentially sign up for a CSA, which are more affordable and also kind of really challenge you to eat what they're giving you. So like, you know, to cut down on your food waste and really be conscious about what you're eating. Even as New Yorkers, I feel like we are constantly on the go and eating on the go is not good for your digestive system. So even like taking a minute, sitting down, being mindful about what you're eating, not looking at your cell phone, smelling your food, you know, smelling your food actually starts to stimulate your saliva, which actually has enzymes in it to help you break down your food. Did not know that. You know, it's crazy <laughs> to think that it starts with your nose. Yeah. Right. And so those are the like even that that's a huge thing that if you took a little bit, if you took I feel like I heard someone say the other day that they ate their lunch in two minutes. I was like, can you turn that two minutes into 10 minutes and tell me that you had a great poop that night? Because <laughs> I think you'd feel a lot happier. Right. Yeah. And we all know that, you know, the stomach is kind of your second brain. I like to say it's your first brain. And a lot of issues come with like, whether it's mental or, or physical, it starts in your gut. 95% of diseases start in your gut. Yeah. And 80% of the serotonin I learned, which was crazy to me, is produced in your gut, not your not your brain. So if you're depressed, check your gut. There you go. Yeah. There you go. How do you deal with haters? You share a lot on social media, mm-hmm. um, all parts of your life. And the haters love to just, you know, attack. They love to hate. Haters love to hate. (laughs) You know what? I appreciate the haters. Tell me everything. Growing up, I felt like I had a lot of haters and I was determined to take that energy and prove everyone wrong. And so that's kind of the way I've embraced the haters is that it's fuel to my fire. It's fuel for me to say, I can do and be whatever I want. I can recreate myself. I can explore my passions. Yes, I have the opportunity, but we all have these tools. I mean, social media allows anyone to create what they want from their life, ultimately, whether they use it as just a way to show photos of their dog or if they're using it as a creative platform because they're an aspiring photographer Whatever that may be, you can use these tools to your advantage. And I feel like the haters who are so quick to judge, it's just like fuel to my fire. Love that. And I will say that for me, sometimes if something, if I see a comment that I know is going to spark other people to kind of attack on, because at this point, people have my back right? Which I feel so fortunate for. But I also don't want my page to be something that breeds that type of impulsive negativity, right? 
So if I see something that I know someone's going to like jump all over, I'm just going to delete it. Yeah. And by the way, we have delete buttons and we have block buttons and I use them all the time. Yeah. You I know? don't think people should uh, take pride in the fact that they didn't delete something. It's like, oh, you deleted a comment. Well, guess what? It's your social media. Yeah, right? exactly. And, if you know, I know, for instance, I know I've got 11-year-old girls looking at my stuff. If I if some guy said something inappropriate, I'm going to delete it. Yeah. I don't need an 11-year-old girl looking at that. And I also don't need an 11-year-old girl looking at two girls getting heated over something stupid. Right. Right. Because ultimately anything that anyone's hating on is really just dumb at the end of the day. I mean, you know, and everything's taken out of context. And that's also something I'm really aware of. It's that you'll never, no one will ever get the full story. You just, there's, you, you can't, it's so hard. Everything is out of context. Right. And you just have to kind of remember that. And I think it also takes a lot of thick skin, which I feel like I have definitely built (laughs) a very thick skin. So so what would you say your biggest challenge has been one of your biggest challenges? I never like to say like the biggest challenge, one of them. And what have you learned from it? So for me, I think I've wanted to be at the forefront of this like wellness world for so long. And I have been in a lot of ways, but it's watching like I'm, I've got the entrepreneur bug, right? And I, I love consumer brands. So watching all these brands like pop up left, right and center um, it feels like every single day there's a new brand in wellness, a new brand in beauty. And I've I've wanted to put out a product for so long. And it's been challenging to see all of the things come out when I feel like I want to contribute to that. But I have a lot of other things going on and I need to stay focused. I kind of not feel left out because I, I, I'm not left out. But I just feel like a big challenge for me is that I feel like I have more to offer and it, I need to take my time and understand that like my timing is not right now. Right. I don't know how to sum that up in like a thing, but no, you like, don't have to sum it up. I was like, just curious. You know what I mean? Like that it's for me, it's like knowing my time and being okay with the the road and the path and the turns that it might take in, in order to get there yeah. is for me, feels like it's taking too long. Yeah. Know the feeling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What do you want people to take away from the book? I want people to hopefully take away a better sense of themselves, a little bit of truth serum. You know, I want people to read this book and feel like they can open up with themselves and be realistic and truthful about where they're at and implement some of the things that I talk about in the book um, to kind of like just help you feel better about yourself, about your relationship with yourself um, and how you can like optimize that feeling. Awesome. So I ask two questions for everyone that comes on the podcast. What is something that someone would be surprised to know about you? I usually will share something really embarrassing, but you don't have to share something embarrassing. Like I'll share that. um, I also dance at Alvin Ailey and that was my dream was to be in the company. Oh my God. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's And then I realized that I would never make it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Sure. Okay. So something that people don't really know about me. I mean, I did put this on social media, but you never know what people catch or don't catch because algorithm, algorithm, the feed, I follow like 2000 people. I mean, who the hell knows? So when I was in college, I, I was in a band and I had a shaved head. Nice. Yeah. 
And the band was called Pussy Combat. And our first single was a song called, it was, by the way, first and only. (laughs) We had like two shows, but was called Drew Barrymore. And I, when I had my shaved head, I I caught a tattoo on my head. And so I have a, a head tat on the side of my head and it's the full right side and it's a dragon mixed with like a vine in the shape of a seahorse. Wow. Her name is Lucy. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, guys, I was in art school, you know? Wow. Yeah. So that's. You posted the picture of the. Of the, of the, of the dragon tat. You're listening. Go look in her feed and find the dragon tat in the shape of a seahorse. (laughs) Lucy. (laughs) Lucy. I like couldn't believe that I, you know, I am the girl with the dragon tattoo. Love it. Insane. (laughs) So any last words of advice? that you would love to leave our listeners with. Never give up on your dreams. It's cool to pursue your passions and it's cool if you don't. You just need to be comfortable with with your life decisions and know that you'll learn from the failures and the hiccups. And for me, those were the best learning tools and just, you know, learn by doing. Love it. And where can we get your book? You can get my book at anywhere books are sold, (laughs) i.e. Amazon, um, Barnes and Noble, any indie store, but mostly online, harperwave.com. And I really hope that you guys check it out. And the name of it is again, Do What Feels Good. Yeah. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you. That was Hannah Bronfman. And what I love about Hannah is her curiosity for life and that In being so curious, she really found out what she loved to do and her passion, and she turned that into something that paid her bills. You can see more of her work at hbfit.com or follow her on Instagram at Hannah Bronson. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Please don't forget to rate, review us, send us an email, superwomen at rebeccaminkoff.com. Thanks for listening and tune in next week. This week's review comes from Dana, never a wallflower. Rebecca, I just listened to your interview with Michelle Lee and loved it. Favorite quote from the podcast, rising tides raise all ships. Such a great point to remember about women supporting women. Thanks, Dana.